Good evening and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight we got Mr. Dave Pryor. Ian Walsh. Adam Davis. Gavin Cheatham. And little old me. So sit back and let's enjoy a little bit of football bats on this lovely hot sunny afternoon. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, quite honestly, it's a wonder we've got a show tonight because Hilda's gone down sick. Rick's had to go for another scan. Thorpe and Tony Pounder are playing golf, so it's just down to the four of us, and the four of us being, first of all, Gavin uh, Cheatham is here. Hi, Gav. Hi, Eddie. Evening. Uh, and then Ian Welsh is here. Hi, Ian. Hi, Eddie. Hello, everybody. All right, mate. And uh, yeah. the man of all the facts and figures, Adam Davis is here. Well done, Adam, for coming. Evening, all. So, um, it's been a funny old week, really, isn't it? Um, I think we'll, 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 we'll stick to protocol and start with the Oval. Um, in particular, they've signed um, Rhys Murphy, who I can remember when he was first here. Um, very nice guy, but more to the point, when he's on form... He knows where the goal is. So um, I'll start with you, uh, Gab, because you you ought to better remember him. What did you make of him when he was here and what do you feel about the signing? Well, I was uh, surprised when the news broke out Friday evening because I knew that Martin, when he was on our, our 100th pod last week, alluded to uh, exciting signings at the top end of the sharp end of the pitch, but we obviously didn't give any names away. And when it was um, announced that Reese Murphy has come back, I was there. Uh, pleasantly surprised yeah. I think um, uh, you know since our most prolific striker say since um, Paddy Madden would you agree oh definitely the... yeah yeah so um, it was good to have him I think um, I was reading today an article in the uh, South End Echo saying that because uh, they're under a transfer embargo and Kevin Mayer their boss is um, has got his hands tied basically he can't even offer he said it's all just like um, you know, it's just general chats. They can't offer anything concrete because they're under this transfer embargo. So their um, this misfortune at the moment is uh, certainly played into our hands as our as we're obviously further down the line with our takeover, and it's actually taken place. So um, time in uh, like in all walks of life is uh, key, and it's uh, works out really good for us. And I'm delighted to see him back. Yeah, well, I spoke to him on the phone and we put a little interview up on the on the podcast, and uh, he was saying that you know he said he's had a very unsatisfactory time at Southend because he had so many injuries, and we were discussing the um, the, the pre-season situation, and you know he was saying it is always so vital that a player gets a proper pre-season, and he didn't get a proper pre-season at Southend, and he's been left to suffer for it really. So. Um, 
you know that's an important aspect of it, I think. Uh, Adam, what do you think about him? I'm I'm absolutely delighted. I I remember when they first well we when he came to Yeovil the first time around it was. Uh, I think we bought him from from Chelmsford or something like that. So that part of the world where where South End is, and I remember the overwhelming thing saying that he was a really prolific goal scorer in the National League South. And unfortunately, yes, we've got him back, brilliant. But it's it is in said league, so so you can go past all the usual uh, checklist of has he done it in that particular league? Well, yes, absolutely. Um, there's no doubt about it. He has suffered with injury, but. I don't think you're allowed to be a Yeovil Town player and, unless you are. Um, so I think it's I think it's a really really exciting um, a really exciting signing. The goals we we have a proper outlet which I think is very very exciting um, and also has always come across as a, as a guy that that really really cares uh, was excellent under Darren Sahl, of course. Whether we can get the ball to him is always the main problem um, when Jordan Maguire drew. He is certainly capable of it. Um, maybe one or two other players in and around that area might be quite nice just to get regular service to him. And, of course, a backup, because unfortunately, I think he's the wrong side of 30 now, um, injuries-wise. So it may start to be slightly more of an issue for him. Um, but a fresh start, and I think we'll all be very pleased about it. What do you think, Ian? You were here when he was uh, when he was here last time. Uh, yeah, I, I remember um, him scoring a hat-trick in an open empty stadium it was very surreal yeah. you know, just um, people haven't been able to see how great his movement off the ball is and just how fantastic of generally he plays he's just brilliant but Adam's right 32 now so injuries do creep up on you when you go past 30 and um, he's yeah uh, there's no sign of how many years we've signed him for but everyone seems to be getting on the two year bandwagon which tells you what sort of project they're hoping to do at Hewish Park Here's a little fact for you. His middle names are Philip and Elliot. And also uh, a very well-known league with... He was uh, Mr. Luke Ayling's best man. Don't was know if any of you knew that. No. But, yeah, he was... I submit that's a new one on me. Yeah, him and Luke Ayling, very good buddies from when they used to play uh, Arsenal, I believe. Mm. Yeah, I think they were in the youth team together, weren't they? I knew that. Yeah. Mm. They were mates. They follow each other on social media, but I didn't realise that close. So, yeah. I mean, it's... It's great to finally talk about having um, an outlet in the box. Yeah. Like like Adam said, you've got Jordan Maguire, Drew. Stevens is back now. Uh, we've got, um, obviously, Worthington playing his new role under Cooper. Lots and lots of attacking intent. And, you know, if, if the opposition score three, we go and get a four sort of thing. Well, I hope that's the case anyway. I've, 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 <laughs> taken, uh, I've taken Reese to task about... Uh, his last visit to Hewish Park, coming on and mm. within 20 seconds putting a gold ball in the back of the net. So, uh, yeah, and celebrating wildly. Yeah, like yeah, he ran into the corner, didn't he? Yeah, yes. Well, that was it. But no, he's he's a good guy, yeah, and he knows that. You know, I was having a bit of banter with him about it, but um, you know. Um, now, what about this new guy that uh, he hasn't actually signed yet? But. Uh, we hear a lot of rumblings that somebody called Jake Hyde is likely to come and join us. And was he at South End? Have I got that right? Alteringham for a large period of time. Where Alteringham? Yeah. Right. But okay. I think I think that might have been that he was on loan from South End at Alteringham or something like that. It might have been Scunthorpe. Yeah. He's been in and around the National League. That's a that's an absolute dead set. I, I know that certainly um, South End is somewhere in the mix. I'm not quite sure. Um, I haven't done my homework basically, so 
slap wrist time there, but uh, hopefully you boys mm -hmm. will, will back me up. What, what do you know about him, Ian? Um, very, very, very little, actually. I'm hoping that Adam will be able to help a lot with that. But um, again, a striker. We, we've been screaming out for strikers for two years now, and probably uh, since Murphy left, probably. So actually, the fact that we're talking about strikers being linked with them and then in the next couple of days things get signed is a very good sign I think yeah well pass the buck over to Adam then what, 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 yeah, what, go what on, else Adam. You, you said you know about him so come well, on well clearly not if I couldn't remember which clubs he played for but I have <laughs> frantically googled it and remembered where he is and he was on loan at South End, but he was originally actually under contract at everyone's favourite not really a National League club Wrexham oh, right. uh, he has he is the archetypal journeyman uh, target man which has spent most of his time in and around the National League and the lower leagues of England. And I think we are going to get a typical striker like that, which is quite exciting um, for me personally. It suggests that we may play two at top, which, which would be an interesting dynamic and something we haven't necessarily had or been able to have for a while. Um, very much a classic lick at little and large, provided Murphy stays fit, um, because albeit we couldn't watch him uh, too much, obviously behind closed doors for so long of Reese Murphy's first stint at the club, but he was incredibly quick. And more importantly, as Ian's already alluded to, his movement was excellent. If we can get Jake Hyde to play as the target man that I think a lot of people will assume he will be, and getting knockdowns to Murphy could be quite potent. Um, I, think it's a, I think it could be a really quite exciting uh, striker. I, I did some work in and around having to look at Jake Hyde not that long ago. The overwhelming thing I did notice, he is, he is a little slow um, and he's not, so he, he certainly doesn't have the pace on him. And again, he is the wrong side of 30. But a bit of experience in what has been, and certainly was the back end of last season, a very young squad, um, certainly wouldn't go too far away from it. Um, would definitely add something different. And again, we've talked so much about leadership, about everything that's been going on at Hewish Park for so long. Um, having a few more elder players that have been around various different clubs, especially ones that have been uh, previously um, in financial difficulty, as Josh Staunton and Reese Murphy and now Jake Hyde have now experienced. Um, it could, it, I can only see more positives than negatives. Good. What do you think about it, Gavin? Yeah, um, as Adam's alluded to, he's a bit of a sort of journeyman around the National League and uh, lower end of League Two. I know he's had spells at York, Stevenage, Barnet, a couple of years at Woking, Halifax, and then um, so he's certainly uh, been around. But um, he's got a decent scoring record. He seems to have scored at most places he's been at. And um, you know, like Adam said, he may not be the most mobile, but if he's holding it up, bringing others into play. We have got a lot of pace in our <coughs> squad at the moment. And if he can hold it up and flick it on to a Reese Murphy or Malachi Linton or another, then I think it's, um, I think it's uh, if it does come off and he is the next one through the door, then that's uh, exciting signing. Well, of course, we haven't got him yet. Um, we're all sort of chatting away. So we've got him. We haven't, but it seems as though the rumours are fairly strong as they were for... Reese Murphy. So, you know, if we're going by that, then there's a. It would appear to be a fair chance. Now, you, you brought up today that they just announced that we've sent somebody from Bristol City. Is it? Literally, as we've uh, just as we were going to air, yeah. Um, one of the Bristol City youngsters who was on loan with us uh, for a short spell last season, Josh Hours, the um, 
the uh, son of the uh, former Bristol City and Torquay uh, manager Gary Hours. Josh has um, re-signed for Yeovil on a permanent deal after being released by uh, Bristol City in uh, at the tail end of the season. Now That's he he news. was the one that was was quite impressive when he was here, wasn't he? Of, of the two, he was uh, the one. Was... Yeah, I would say out of the two, he only played a handful of games. He um he was the one who played in midfield. Uh, quite a tall. Um, used to like get his foot in. You know, quite aggressive for a youngster like box box midfielder, mm-hmm. left sided. So gives a good bit of balance to the squad. And um, obviously someone that Mark Cooper worked with last season. So uh. He is um, so hot on the tail of Reese Murphy re-signing on Friday. Another less familiar face, but still no less a familiar face. Uh, Josh Howers is uh, back, and he, he is at the other end of the spectrum, what we were talking about earlier, about the wrong side of 30. He's the, uh, um, still a teenager, I believe. Well, I mean, first of all, everyone's got to say, you know, well done to Martin Hellier for making these these signings happen and and some you know some quite impressive names we all hope you never know with these things of course it's always a little bit uh, in in the melting pot as it were but you know we know with Reese Murphy and if he's fit I can't see him not scoring goals for us for a start and you know just that the whole um, atmosphere around Hewish Park that Martin Hellier is is maintaining it and he's keeping it going and you know which now what is it a month now I suppose since he took over something like that and and you know it's been it's been good news all the way hasn't it so I mean we ought to be we ought to be uh, very grateful to him for what he's doing and the the, the good feeling he's bringing back to Hewish Park after such a a terrible couple of years what do you think Adam I I completely agree I think I, I think. The best thing that we could argue about uh, Mr. Elliot is he's made it very clear from the outset that he actually isn't the one facilitating the transfers. And that's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. But what he has done is he set out very early doors that he was going to trust Mark Cooper with the signings. And he's actually gone and clearly done that because Cooper has gone and brought in players that either he knows uh, previously or trusts and he knows the level. Um, this was the argument made about hiring Cooper back in you know november of last year and actually we're giving him the the resources which is something Elliot definitely has done he's given him the resources to bring in players that he's looking for uh, i really like the signing of josh hours um as as we know that i don't get to come and watch yeovil as regularly as i'd like but something i did get was when josh hours was here he played um in in the game that i commentated york versus yeovil and by far was probably our best player it was really really exciting you're right in your description that he was certainly the better of the two between him and the other guy was called Seb Palmer Holden, who looked, needless to say, outrageously out of his depth just at that time. He was he was too young. He was throwing very much at the deep end. But ours really fought well with it. It's it's exactly the sort of signing that I think we need to be making at this level. If we can get a nice blend of, of youth and experience, which is typically the winning formula for any successful team, particularly down at this level, um, is is actually really, really positive. So congratulations to Hellier for being able to start the ball rolling. Uh, thank you for Cooper for actually getting the players in. Now they've actually just got to perform. Not, not easy, easier said than done, of course. Yeah, now, of course, a lot of us are not, you know, haven't seen or uh, watched um, National League South football. Um, but now I see that uh, plans are in place for 
uh, streaming of the um, National League South games and uh, that's a bonus for, for all of us that uh, you know won't be necessarily travelling to get to see all the games. What do you make of that then, uh, uh, Gavin? Yeah, I was surprised about that, to be honest. I thought that, um, you know, as the games are a lot more local, that it would um, it may affect attendances, you know, in the fact that people, if they've got the option, especially like in the winter months, not so much at the start of the season and end of the season, but, um, yeah, I was surprised. But, uh, I mean, but like you say, is uh, football now is, um, you know, it's choice, isn't it? And um, it's cost of living you know people getting there traveling and so yeah i suppose it flip it on its head and say well it does give people you know an option to go to the to uh, still see the game so i i suppose from that angle then that then it's a good thing that they're doing that there is a, a rider though i see it says here article 48 is a uefa regulation which prevents matches being televised in england and scotland between 245 and 515 on the mm. Sunday which presumably means that the new streaming service will only cover midweek bank holiday fixtures, which is uh, slightly disappointing, but I guess um, they will always be able to listen to the commentary from your good self, Gavin, on Three Valleys of Radio, of course. Certainly well. Yeah, so that's that's something to look forward to anyway. But And, of course, we don't know what the BBC's plans are next next season either yet, but I, I would have thought, and, and this is purely my speculation here, that um, you know, if they've got to do commentary from every game, I can't see how they're going to do every one without getting a bit of you know, it's going to cost them a lot of money, apart from the else. And the BBC have never got a lot of money, have they? So, uh, I wonder whether they will carry on doing it. What do you think, Adam? I honestly don't know, but I think, I think the streaming having the streaming go down to the National League North and South, I actually think A is a brilliant thing, uh, for selfishly for people like myself that don't live in Somerset anymore uh I'm, I'm still able to to access the games uh as and as and when and it's particularly great on a on a Tuesday night when you know we're, we're playing whoever it may be and I'm 300 miles away and I thought you know what tonight I'm going to be miserable and I tune into National League South and we'll play however we do but um I think it's going to be it'll be interesting I don't know whether the BBC can or will uh, uphold all of their coverage for the simple fact that, you know, who else would they be covering at the time? They've got Bristol Rovers down there. They've got Bath to be covering now. We, Yeovil can no longer claim, well, we are we are playing at the highest level uh, available to Somerset Local Radio because we're now at the same level as, as Weston and, and Bath and Taunton, uh, who all would probably rightfully claim that, well, actually, we're on a path. So yeah, and probably... Churro. And, and exactly, but uh, even even if we just focus solely on clubs in Somerset, yeah. you know, we, we no longer we're no longer the one that that stands out for, for now. Um, in terms of who's most likely to get the most listeners, yeah, is probably still is still the Oval, but the but the argument definitely can't be made as strongly anymore, unfortunately. So what we might get is infrequent radio coverage from the BBC. Obviously, you will never get infrequent coverage from Three Valleys. That goes without saying, of course. When, te um, when technically it works, you mean? Well, absolutely. But we don't, we don't tell the listeners that, Aidy. It works every time, all the time. But uh, so, no, that's, so, that's been, so that's quite exciting. Um, in terms of the actual television ability to, to watch the clubs, I think the fact that York, uh, York, Yeovil and Torquay uh, in particular getting relegated this year, along with Scunthorpe, 
actually, I think, would have probably made it more interesting for the National League to show games in the second tier of, of non-league because these are big fan bases that, that will tune in and will pay the passes, uh, particularly with, with clubs that have got supporter bases all over the country. So it'll be... Actually, I think it's a really interesting point of view and we might actually end up on uh, National League streaming and BT more regularly than we would have done um, if we'd stayed up. Yeah, and and just on that point of, of the technical issues we've had here at the radio station, obviously we're going down a league, so we don't know yet what sort of facilities um, the National League South teams are going to have. And in fact, I've been in touch with them all to try and establish just exactly what sort of... Um, facilities they've got um so far only one has written back that said that they haven't got any facilities and that's slough town because apparently they're, they're in a, a council-owned stadium or something but um rest assured listeners when we say we're going to broadcast the games we we do but if we if we're yeah. reliant totally on internet and of course living in somerset we i mean i live in a little small village and i'm just i cry out how bad the internet connections are but we're going to have to rely on those internet connections to broadcast the game. So, you know, I'm sorry if we lose it sometimes, but uh, we do try. We try all the time to try and get it right. But, you know, you just have to rely on the facilities that are there. And if, if, we, if they haven't got 4G or 5G, then, you know, we're going to be struggling. So rest assured, we're doing everything we can. And by the time the season kicks off, I hope that it'll be, it'll be perfected. But I thought it was just a good opportunity to... To let people know, because you can write about it as much as you like, but but if you know if you're on the other end and you're just listening, and you know Yeovil have just gone a goal down or something, and you want to know what's happening, and then bang, the Bremen internet goes down. I mean, it can be nothing. Drive you around the bend. I I know I would. I, I would. I would feel so. You know. But imagine what I'm like at this end, trying to get everything to work, and it's not working. Doing my doing my head in basically. So we do try, listeners. We do try honestly. So take that on board, please. Now then. Um, just one other point on Yeovil. Um, I haven't been in. I did see a photograph, but has anybody been in and seen the improvements that they're doing to the inside of the stadium? Not Only in photos. Uh, yeah, same. Same. Only the odd photo and video on uh, Martin Hellier's um, social media, but I haven't actually physically been at the ground yet. Have you seen it here? It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. What, what exactly have they done? I mean, I, I know they're doing the seats, but exactly how, oh. how have they done it? Can you tell me? So um, there was a time last year where we had uh, a postponement, a very late postponement because there was a frozen pitch. Yeah. And in order to unfold the pitch, we used the blowtorch. And um, looking back, it probably wasn't the best idea, but we just tried to get the game on. So what they've done is they've used that blowtorch. And if you blowtorch the seat, it brings it back to its original colour. Really? And it is, yeah, it's completely mesmerising how it works. It literally looks like someone has taken maybe six, seven thousand and just put seven thousand new seats in the ground. Oh. What it, Even what the it does, it, it's, uh, it, the, the heat uh, re-energises the oils in the plastic and actually brings them sort of back to the colour that they were intended to be. Yeah. It's a bit like sort of taking one or two layers off off an onion or something like that, and it goes back to yeah. its, the sheen we expect. It's um, it's really clever. Well, I mean, you know, three cheers for Martin Hellier again for doing that because it's it's a relatively simple move. 
All right, it's probably hard work, and I know Martin's sons are doing it, and you know more power to their elbows because they're they're, they're straight away doing it. But but nonetheless, it's it's an it's a relatively simple um, improvement. But my goodness, it's going to make a difference on the eye. And you know, if mm-hmm. we're going to get more television coming there. That's going to look really good, I think. Uh, you know, Gavin, what do you think? You, you know, you've seen the pictures. Yeah, I think um, it's um, it's needed liquor paint since we moved there in '90, hasn't it? It's um, yeah. You know, I just think it makes it more like someone who they had a biz, they have business meetings at the club, don't they? Like a working breakfast. Yeah. Someone, they hadn't been to one for a while, and they went up and they said, you know, haven't been here for a while. And wow, you know, it looks almost like a a new stadium, so that would just encourage people. And like you know, when we get the social side up on it, people will be booking their Christmas dues there, parties. You know, it's 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 just never ending. It's just like just a little love and attention that the club's needed on and off the pitch for the last few years has uh, been brought together by one man. Hmm. And all this so the turkey's going to look quite good on the seats, then, really, isn't it? <laughs> and, um, and not to mention the biggest and best LED screen in the National League South. Oh, is that right? I didn't know we got one of those as well. That's another new. Oh yeah, we got our, our screen is amazing, AZ. Yeah. Gone and yeah, gone are the scoreboards, the old-fashioned ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, excellent. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, the the things that we could do on the computer with it now. We've we've got Jurassic Fiverr adverts. We've got uh, Howard's Motor Group adverts, like proper adverts that people can watch. Yeah, we've got we can we can upload the highlights from the previous games, highlights of the manager's press conference. If I wanted to, I could. They could literally put a camera on me, and then I'd be on the screen. Oh my God! It's incredible. We better put a put a stop to that then quickly, haven't we? Yeah, don't don't do that. Don't no, do yeah. that. <laughs> but think how good the Three Valleys branding is going to look on that screen, though, Amy. Yeah, that's a good. I point. mean, come yeah. on. Absolutely, bang on. Gotta think big. Yeah. Well, moving on Get from that the logo old... perfected. Yeah, well, I would. I've got an, an appointment lined up with Mr. Hellier actually to, to discuss these things. Um, moving on from the Oval, um, I suppose we'd better discuss. Well, there was a couple of games on there over the weekend, really, well, just before the weekend. But um, well done to West Ham. Um, Excellent performance from West Ham. I mean, I think their hooligan element needed to be a bit of a slap round the ear for chucking things at the pitch, and that could have caused them to lose the game if they were, you know, depends what sort of a referee you got in charge, really. But, but you know, I thought West Ham did all right, really, basically, didn't you, boys? What do you think? Absolutely. I think, uh, I think it was a really composed and really strong performance from them. Uh, I think Fiorentina gave them a very good game. They never really created many chances but did look mildly threatening when they when they did and and it could have very easily been a case of West Ham switching off uh, and and conceding a silly goal which which they didn't um it was it was only a, a decent sort of all-round decent performance let down by unfortunately a few idiots that uh did a very nasty gash to to Baravi's head which didn't look very nice at all unfortunately mm. but uh all-round has come out very very well for West Ham I think I think what you're alluding to, though, AD, that um, and rightfully you probably mm-hmm. aren't wanting to mention, there is another game that took place this weekend with a Manchester club that didn't end in United. Sorry, that I, blue team. I, I must have missed that. What, what what game was that then? 
Oh, it, it, I don't think it was anything big. I, I think something like the Champions League final or something like yeah. that. Yeah, no, I'm, I must have missed that. I must admit, I didn't, I didn't really. Uh... Was that for them to win the treble? Hmm. Makes me feel ill. I'll be joining Hilda <laughs> in a minute. I can assure you. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm actually disappointed that, unfortunately, Rick wasn't able to make it today. So I guess we have to kind of turn to you, AD, to have a, a, a small yeah. rant about Man City instead. Yeah, well, that's I mean, right, are you not watching the Open Top Parade after this, AD? I thought you'd well, be there. Uh, apparently, um, and this is hot off the press, uh, the whole thing has been not, not postponed permanently, but certainly put back because the weather's foul up there, apparently, and they're worried about safety issues with lightning strikes or what have you. Which I thought was great, really. It means they can't celebrate. So that's that's super. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. But no, you have to I take mean, the little wins. To, look, everybody knows my allegiances. It makes me ill to think that they've managed to get the treble. Especially, and we'll come on to that in a minute, Rick's hobby horse. Um, because, <laughs> you know, they've cheated, basically. But you can't, you can't take it away from the, the players... I mean, in particular, I think Gundogan is is a is a really really class player. Um, I think the goal itself was, well, nobody was going to stop that, were they? Basically, it came came right, caught it on the volley, absolutely flew in, didn't it? So, um, but I thought I must admit I thought because obviously I'm sitting there, I'm wanting Inter to do well, and to be fair, up until the goal, Inter were well in the game. And I think, mm-hmm. I think they took uh, Manchester City. It came as a bit of a shock because the, the, you know right up to the point of the goal, uh, Inter were really doing well um, and could still have equalised right at the end. I mean, how the goalkeeper managed to stop those two, I'll never know. I mean, more by luck than judgment, that's for certain, you know. So, but the question is really, I mean, you know, well, we'll come to that in a minute, that one. But but what did you boys think, Gavin? What did you think? Well, I was um, I was actually I didn't think I was going to actually watch the final because we were out for a friend that's beaten um, beaten uh, gone into remission after beating cancer. So we had a night of celebration and we went out to the Quicksilver and there was a band on and uh, she had a, all her friends and family surrounded by her to raise some money for the uh, cancer unit at the hospital. So I was there, but I was very antisocial and I was um, watching it on my phone. So I, I actually did end up watching most of the game, a bleep with a crap screen with no volume, with uh, <laughs> music playing in the background. But from what I've seen, um, I thought, to be honest, I, it wasn't the... Oh, you've, we've lost you. Right, are you still there? No, we've lost you, mate. I don't know what's going on there. I hope you can hear me if you can't see me. Um, Ian, what did you make of it? Um, yeah, like you say, Inter were bang on top, really. It was very um, unman city like. Mm. Everyone expected them to come out of, the fl- out of the blocks. Everyone expected them to do this and do that. But they just sort of one nil was going to be enough. You felt. Yeah. They've got they've got talent throughout their whole team though, and uh, I'm I'm pleased for Pep Pep Guardiola more than anything. He's he's seen the project. He's seeing it through. And it was only the second time that their owner has ever watched Man City live. I know how which ironic is incredible. Is that? I think that is that is a sad indictment of the whole system over yeah. there. That he he's put all that money in, and it, clearly it means nothing to him. Because if it did, no. he would have been wanting to watch the team run on a regular basis. I certainly would, if I'd put that sort of money into the project. But uh, 
Gav, can you hear us? He's frozen. Yeah. Gav, hello? Red Zed Victor Wonder BD? <laughs> no, he's definitely not. You're not here. I don't know if you realise you're not with us, but um and um Adam, what did you make of it? Well it was a very composed uh performance by Man City. I think I think you're I thought you were right. gonna say by me then. No well. I thought well, I was extremely co- I thought I was extremely composed actually. Always. But uh no no it was I think from from City, I think I think the one thing that everyone kind of felt was like, yeah, no, City City could easily do four five nil here, but I, I, it never looked like City ever felt like that. They always looked like they were in control. Mm. That it was that it wasn't necessarily um, it was never going to be easy, but it was never going to be super difficult either because all you've got to do is look at the squad list and go. That is a very very strong, not just starting eleven, but um, subs bench as well. That the you know it's. Many teams can bring on the likes of Carl Walker and feel like they can shore up the defence as well as it did. And and uh, having you know losing someone like Kevin De Bruyne would normally seal the end of any uh, impressive cup campaign for any team. And yeah. Foden was very very good when he came on. And we had and, a huge cheer when that happened when he went off. Yeah. Was, was a... I th- I thought this this could have been the type of thing that that would turn the battle. I mean, it did last time when they when they were in the final. Was it two years ago against Chelsea? You know, this was yeah. uh, unfortunately De Bruyne had a similar, well, had a, a nasty injury again, and and it really scuppered their campaign. So, so I think City were okay. There's lots of things off the field that are that do need to be questioned and rightfully should be questioned and weren't questioned by some broadcasters as much as they should have done. Um, but the squad itself was fantastic. They they were so composed and so. Uh, complete in their performance pep didn't overthink the formation he didn't do anything dramatically dramatic uh john stones was excellent in the midfield um no no one is saving rodri's goal um all you have to do is you know you see the video of it cut from behind him and you see it swerve it went past two defenders at such speed it was it was enough for them and uh for all the many many negatives about the club they were very good that day yeah, and I think, you know, it hurts to have to say a lot of this, I have to tell you. But um, t- to be fair, it wasn't the players that have committed uh, the uh, financial irregularities. It's, it's well, I don't know who it is. It's, it's the club, it's the management. Uh, well, not, well, no, it's not the management, not really, not in the, not in the football sense anyway. It's the internal management uh, and, the, you know, the executive management. But, um, you know, you're back now, Gavin. Can you hear us now? Hello? Yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. Tea issues again. Um, you, uh, you got cut off in the middle of your prime, so just finish that off a minute before we move on. Yeah, so, like, like I say, I, I was actually out, so I didn't have total attention on the game. From what I've seen, it, was, um, it w- wasn't the classic, really. The first sort of hour or so, neither keeper seemed to make a save. And then um, I thought... Um, didn't really even weaken City when De Bruyne went off injured because they could bring on someone of the ilk of Phil Foden. So uh, I don't think that. And then Jacko, who they said maybe in the build-up and in the semi-finals might be the danger man for Inter, was very ineffective before he went off injured. And um, Lukaku done nothing from what I've seen. I don't know if you boys agree from when he came on. In fact, uh, he, had, he had he one did. good chance, didn't he? But he mucked it up, basically. Yeah, and then he done. Um, he actually 
cleared one when it come back off the bar and Edison was backpedalling and it come back off the crossbar and then the, the same striker hit it again and um, Lukaku done City's defender's job to him by uh, clearing it with his shin. So uh, he didn't cover himself in glory against the uh, English side. And, uh, and the goal, I think that's Rodri. I think he's only ever scored once in the Champions League for him. And I've read him that he was left out of the squad two years ago when they lost to Chelsea. So yeah. um, nice moment for him. But I think, though, yeah. when you look at the... Um... I mean, my wife's always complaining that whenever the television's on, it's always Sky Sports News. Uh, and I've, I've got to be honest, it usually is as well. But the, the coverage that they did, and then bearing in mind the 115, the coverage that Sky did was so over the top, I felt. I don't know if anybody else has watched it and seen it. I mean, you know, don't don't take away the glory from them because they did win the game. And as I say, as I just said now, you can't blame the players for the financial indiscretions. But at the same time, talk about overkill. I mean, you know, I mean, another team has won the trouble before. It wasn't the first time because Manchester United won it before in 99. So, you know, I just I just felt that was was way over the top, quite honestly. I, I just think it was it was far too much. And I mean, it's even on the other day, it's wall to wall tonight now because they, they, you know, parade around Manchester. But... Adam, you're you're the expert on this. <clears throat> I know we've talked about it a fair bit on here before, but we, we've always been sort of um, mesmerised by Rick's sort of um, what's the word opinion. Is that it? That's the word. Yeah, he you know he is he is absolutely obsessed with this. I'm not as bad as that, but I don't agree with a team getting all the um, coverage that they're getting. When they've got this charge hanging over him, now, just just very briefly, what is the charge again, and how long do you think that they can drag it out? Because I think football has got this huge cloud hanging over it with this, because it could be the ramifications of it could be extreme, because you know, they, yeah, they could they, end they, up losing the cup, couldn't they? I, I don't think it'll ever necessarily come as far as them having title stripped uh, to, straight off the bat. I, I don't see it being because th they'll argue that there's a difference between um, off the field and on the field, because on the field they have still played brilliant. You're right. They're, they are completely intertwined because how can you afford the best team in the world if you're, you know, you, you have to earn a lot of money to do so. Mm. Um, so a bit of a bit of a small recap. Uh, again, all of this is alleged and, and none of it has officially been proved. And I guess that is fairly important to to state. And Man City will continue to state for a long time. Um, so the main thing is that it's trying to circumvent FFP uh, regulations. Basically, what that means is FFP basically is a ruling by UEFA that they're not allowed to lose more than a certain amount over a three-year period. The ways you can uh, prevent that are either cutting your costs or increasing your revenue. Normally, uh, and, and the way Man City have allegedly done it, is they have overinflated their revenue. They've claimed that they've earned more than they should have done. There are three main ways to earn your revenue, match day, broadcasting and commercial. Well, broadcasting comes from BT and Amazon and is actually surprisingly well distributed, so they can't overinflate that. Uh, they can't overinflate match day particularly because if someone was sad enough to count up how much each ticket was sold for and work out the attendance, there is a way of, of working that out. 
Also, matchday uh, revenue is fairly negligible for the big clubs in terms of the overall money earned. It's about 20% of their revenue, whereas broadcasting is more 70 to 80%. Where Man City have supposedly pushed it is in the commercial deals. Uh, so the allegations are between 2008 and 2019. So before, basically right at the beginning, when City were first bought out by Sheikh Mansour. Uh, within those commercial deals, of course, we all know that uh, the city of Manchester Stadium, for sponsored reasons, is called the Etihad, and they have Etihad Airways on the front of their shirts. And there's a few other sponsorships with Abu Dhabi-based uh, firms. Because uh, of Mansour's background and nature, there is allegations that they have paid over the odds of what those sponsorships were in theory worth, so that they could improve their FFP uh, calculations so that they look in a better position than they really are. Uh, so that's that's for, again, I know I've taken far too long, but that is probably as short as we can go with that one. How long can Man City drag this out? Well, chances are a really, really long time because it's all alleged and a lot of the stuff has happened in the uh, is a long way in the past now. It's not like they they're under investigation for stuff that happened in 2021 or 2022. That I think the latest of the 115 breaches I think is 2019. The earliest being 2008. So within those, Man City lawyers are going to go. Why are you bringing this up now? This you know it's 15 years plus since we uh, first allegedly were under these problems. Why are you bringing them up now? Why why didn't you do it before? Um, and various other legal loopholes that the very best lawyers, which Man City will employ, uh, to to get around these problems. Whether they'll get whether they'll get a sanction, how big that sanction is, yes, it could be extreme. Um, I see it being incredibly unlikely, though. But, but even bearing in mind, there's 115 breaches. It it would all depend on what exactly those 115 each individual breaches look like. Is it? Is it each individual sponsorship? So let's say Etihad Airways have been sponsoring the front of Man City's shirt for 15 years. Well, that could be 15 separate allegations. It could just be one. If it's just 15 allegations, if it's only about one sponsorship, e.g. one allegation per year, there's arguments to be made that that should be treated as 15 problems. It should be treated as, as one. I, I can't remember exactly what those 15, 115 breaches are. But it may vary depending on what each one's are going to be done. Again, because from a legal perspective, they're going to have to challenge each of these 115 breaches individually. That's also going to massively draw out uh, the legal proceedings. It's it's not going to just be a case of Man City are guilty, yes or no. It's going to be, are Man City guilty on 115 times? Mm. But do you not sort of feel... I mean, as I say, we all, we all know how, how Rick feels about it, you know, totally obsessed. Well, I'm not quite as bad as that, but I am fairly close to him. But do you not feel it's kind of, it's as though they're, they're rubbing our noses in it, the fact that, the, you know, like I say, the Sky Sports coverage, that sort of, it's like they're rubbing your noses in it, and, and yet they didn't mention it, or very, very hardly ever mentioned it on, on Sky. Do you not, do you not I... think that's a, a case of over, overkill? I actually don't think that is Man City's fault. I think that is entirely the fault of the broadcasters. Yeah. So uh, I, I watched the BT coverage because BT have the rights in, in the UK. Um, and again, I didn't watch the Sky Sports news stuff, but chances are it was very similar. Um, the actual commentary and the punditry surrounding it were abysmal. 
I mean, I personally really dislike a lot of punditry in the UK in terms of how it's analysed or the fact the lack thereof generally. But mm. today it seemed particularly stand out that a lot of them, OK, Mario Balotelli is never going to claim to be a journalist, but Jake Humphreys certainly will, no. that, you know, he's he's supposedly a journalist. He's meant to be asking these hard hitting questions. Sky Sports certainly are. And it all became a little bit matey, all a little bit. Um, we're, we're just going to brush over it because you're in front of us and we want to be your friend as much as we want to be uh, accountable to the public. It's uh, It was a bit... It was disappointing. I, I saw the... Um, I was listening to the commentary. Uh, Jolien Lescott, of course, was at Man City at the start of the Mansour era. And um, they were too busy talking about how Jolien Lescott was feeling in the final five to ten minutes of the match and how important it was and I think I think it was Darren Ferguson said um Darren Fletcher sorry said um you know the whole country must be feeling for you Lescott and I thought no one in this country is caring what Jolie and Lescott currently thinks and it was that type of very weak punditry throughout all of it that sort of missed it and, and that all builds into the not a single person alluded to the FFP breaches now obviously they're not going to allude them to the players the players shouldn't have to speak for Man City as a whole you know it's in theory it shouldn't be their problem um but they can talk amongst themselves and to the British public questioning is there still a cloud over this certain mm. certainly not drawing it out as as long and the fanfare they gave to it quite as much as they should have done perhaps you might have just heard a, a, a duck quacking that was my phone uh, it's a text message I'll read it to you it says eighty old dog you can watch Man City's celebration tour tonight on telly. I'm sure you're aware of the Blues' achievements this season. Wow, what a manager. Best wishes, John Fry. Now that is what I have to put up with. You don't know how lucky you are. But, uh, Ian, what did you make of it all? I mean, you saw, you watched it and that. I mean, you know, do you, do you have any sympathy for us Man United supporters who think that they've been, uh, you know, they've got away with it? Uh, no, no sympathy at all. No, right. I mean, I mean, there were a couple of teams in in England, and there there were a couple of teams for quite a few years that I thought were going to get the treble, but didn't. You, you think of the Arsenal team, you think of the Chelsea team, and I'm, I mean, there is the whole argument, and Adam summed it up perfectly about have they cheated their way to a victory or, but that. That should never boil down to the players and, and what those players have to do on the pitch. And uh, Istanbul, what a great venue that is, especially for us Liverpool fans. That is a fantastic venue to go to. But to play on that occasion and to win that occasion, they deserve a bit of credit. They deserve their what feels like their 600th party of the weekend, I'm sure. But then the hard work... We'll, we'll continue, but then they'll just go and sign someone else for 80 or 90 million or sign someone else for 90 million. Or, or That's just how Man City just seemed to be rolling in it. But then you look, it's interesting because you look at Chelsea and you look at their owner and you look at how much he's spent already. And so far, it's not quite working out how it's working at Man City. Because you think Man City once upon a time had Sven-Goran Eriksson as manager, Mark Hughes as manager. So they're, they're progressing, but... And I've seen plans for their new, for the expansion of the stadium as well. And, I mean, that's going to look incredible when it's finished. But, again, it's amazing. Money does talk, unfortunately. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, think that's an anyone... overwhelming, I think that's the overwhelming point 
through all of it, really, is the fact that, yes, Man City has spent a lot of money. How they got that money is probably up for debate slightly, but they still had to spend it well. So they've spent a lot of that money on a variety of things. You know, the Etihad has improved and he's going to look even better, as Ian's rightly highlighted. Um, And the signings have gone into data analytics, into sports science, into their women's team, into a whole uh, whole variety of things that completely regenerated a, a section of Manchester which was effectively a big brown, big brown field prior to this. Now, yeah. that's not a celebration of what Man City have done um, or how they sourced the money, but they've spent the money well. And, that, and, that's, and that's the overwhelming thing. that I was, I was thinking about this when I was watching the game. In the last five years, when they've, Man City have been really exciting under Pep, how many signings would you class as a dud? Like a, a genuine, a genuine yeah. dud with all the money that they've spent. That um, it was the whole reason Liverpool could challenge the way they did because for a three or four year period, every single player that Liverpool signed worked. That's down to data analytics and a whole bunch of other stuff of getting a lot of very micro decisions right in quick succession. Chelsea, Man United, Tottenham even have spent a fair whack of money, but haven't spent it spent it as efficiently. I think there's an element of rightfully jealousy because every fan should mm-hmm. be jealous of a Man City fan right now. They're playing well, they're buying the best players and they're looking good doing it. And that's really, really irritating to look at. But, you know, can, can that be said of Chelsea right now? Absolutely not. Can that be said of Man United? It's getting there, but it certainly mm-hmm. hasn't been there in the last couple of years. You know, last 12 months, brilliant signings. Casemiro has been fantastic. Mazzara Martinez has been been really really exciting and, and other players that they're going to bring in um even they haven't survived without duds in the last couple of years mm-hmm. I'm still, i have massive questions over anthony generally um mainly by how can a man be so grown up and yet be a complete baby but that's irrelevant of uh, he rolls it, over it, it, that's exactly it so those questions are, are still there that you have you have to spend that infinite money well no matter where that infinite money came from well, one assumes. Mm, and it's also... uh, sorry, Ian. I was just going to say one assumes that uh, the recommendation for players has initially come from Pep. Mm. One would it will be a whole team. It'll be a whole team of people that will go right. Well, we need to fit Pep's system. But there'll be there'll be hundreds of analysts and scouts and technical directors all all built into this that from all over the globe to find those players. You know, J- Julian Alvarez. How how do we know that he was going to be? as good as he has been and yet has won so much. Um, John Stones is technically under that listing, but there would have been a lot. It's more than just the individual genius of Pep Guardiola to go, He's a, he could be a pretty good midfielder as well. He had a lot to do with it, but there's there's 10 plus coaches sat on that bench that aren't just Pep Guardiola. Um, they all had to be paid and they all had to be part of a, a similarly well-built system that led to them winning a Champions League. As as there's a reason to go. Well, how many teams have won the treble? Well, it's intentionally very very hard to win them, uh, and that's because you have all those micro decisions that all have to link together. Gavin's Gavin's gagging to yeah, say I, something. <laughs> I was just about to say that I agree with Adam. It's not just Pep Guardiola. There is obviously a team um, mm. later and scouts uh, behind Pep. But Pep, I know, has the overall final say at Man City, and I think that's. Um, the difference to when he was a uh, manager at Bayern and uh, Barcelona before that, I think uh, at City he's um, he's got overall charge with no interference and 
we know it over what uh, what happened last year, don't we, with, with the deference? And that's why going back even further, you know, when someone said, you know, Mark, like Adam said, Martin Halley has given Mark Cooper a budget and saying, there you go, and then we'll review it if it's not going well. I think that's how it should be. So I think that's uh, so. Although Pep, it's not just Pep Guardiola. He he does. He is he is the main man at Man City, and uh, mm. so a lot of credit does have to go, in my opinion, to, to him. So, what about the prospect? We don't know what's going to happen yet. You know, he said he's staying to see out his contract, but um, if he, he's the sort of bloke who could quite easily suddenly change his mind because he's his own man, and you know, um, will will City collapse and without him there? Well, it's going to be exactly the same, maybe, I think, as when uh, as when Fergie left United. Because mm. I, I just think, you know, when you one of the best managers, well, both of them the best managers that have ever been, once they go, it's just, uh, it really is a poison chalice when you um, yeah. ever follow. Yeah, well, I always, I, remember, think... I always remember Gary Johnson saying to me, you know, if you're going to change jobs in this game, he said... Go to a team that's at the bottom of the league and is absolutely in dire straits because you can't go any further down and you can start going back up again. So from a point of view of job security as much as anything else, if you go to a team that's bottom, I mean, Mark Cooper should be should be sitting pretty because, you know, we've just been relegated. So he can only go upwards, can't he, really? So, well, we hope he can only go upwards yeah. anyway. So, you know. Well, you, you could almost say have that end. You know, when Gary left us both times, you know, because yeah. we never thought we'd get to the Football League, did we? And then we never thought we'd get to the Championship. In no. fact, Gary didn't the first time because he left after about two months of Bristol City and said at the time he'd taken the club as far as he could. And then he'd come back and contradicted himself by yeah. taking us up to the Championship. Yeah, so, well, there um, you go. You know, it was like even at, you know, all, all levels, you know, when, when Gary left, it was like, oh, wouldn't like to be the next number one at Yeovil. Yeah, yeah. Um, We've got about seven minutes left, I think, gentlemen. No, we haven't. We've got six minutes left. Um, just want to touch on the, the Harry Kane situation. Um, you know, I'm a big Man United supporter. I'm not that bothered whether we sign him or not, personally. I know he's a hell of a player, but, I mean, quite clearly, I don't think Daniel Levy's going to let him go because he's that sort of a bloke. Uh, and I just don't think, you know, what do you think is going to happen on that front? I think that it's uh, Kane is in a very, very difficult situation. Mm -hmm. um, my, my opinion is that he's arguably been priced out of the market by both Levy and his brother. Uh, his brother is his agent. And he said it. He put in a long-term deal a long time ago now, which has put Kane on excellent money whilst he's been at Tottenham and has been able to attack all the records that Kane clearly finds are very important and all the power to because he's very, very good at what he does. Um, but there's no release clauses in there. There's no additional things that will actually help Kane get out for a reasonable fee. Traditionally, English players, particularly at the very, very top, go with a slight premium, mainly due to uh, European Cup registration rules and things like that. So that usually puts the price on. That's why Harry Maguire goes for 80 million, for example. Uh, and Sterling went for 55 plus um, at the time. It's realistically Levy doesn't let him go for less than 140 150 million pounds um okay you can't get Haaland again but Haaland went for 60 
That was because of a release clause to come to Man City. Uh, Lataro Martinez, who of course played for Inter Milan in the Champions League final last weekend. Very, very, very good striker who is more than capable of scoring goals. You can definitely get him for less than £150 million. Uh, Kane is starting to pick up injuries that he... Um, a few, but not many, but questions will be asked for us to go full circle at the beginning of this uh, podcast to where we are now. And and he's almost 30. £150 million is an awful lot for a striker of that kind. Yes, he's probably good enough, but are there better options out or are there cheaper options out there that can do almost as good of a job? Well, I think there are. What do you think, Gav? Yeah, I think... Um... Like you say, he's a stubborn old mule, um, Mr. Levy. So I just don't think he will um, not. Well, we've lost Gavin, I think, have we? Yeah, we've lost him again. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone. Ian, what do you think? Uh, I, I do. I do feel for a Harry Kane a bit. Like what, like what Adam said, he's not surrounded himself with possibly the best people he could have. Anyone who does any dealings with Mr. Levy yeah. has to have a lot of patience. And I, I'm, I imagine in a very low scale, it might have been the way that Hellier had to try and get the club through at Yeovil. It was, took a lot of patience and a lot of grit, I imagine. Yeah. But the only difference is it comes across as Harry Kane is very happy. It comes across that he's, he is Spurs', Spurs number number 10. He, does, he adores the place. They adore him. So I'm not. I'm not sure he would move to somewhere to not. He'd start, but he wouldn't be as cult of a hero as he would. He is at Spurs, and he's just happy. I don't think he's gonna go anywhere. 150 million is ridiculous as well. Yeah. When did these prices ever go above 100 million? It's insane. But I think you know the fact that uh, everybody's talking about it except for one person, Harry Kane. Yeah. He's keeping. And Daniel strong. Levy. Yeah, and you know, so I, I'm. I'm not. You know that bothered about it personally, but uh, you know it just it just seems that certainly Ten Hag is bothered. He wants him, but he's going to have to accept the fact this time. I think that he can't get him, and he's have to put up with this guy from uh, Atalanta. Well, so... this is that this is partly the problem, isn't it? It's the fact that everyone says, "Oh, we 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 want Harry Kane." Well, any team with half a mind wants Harry Kane. I want Harry yeah. Kane at Yeovil Town. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. No. And, and and certainly, if not, the player isn't very happy or is happy where he is. Um, so many uh, comparisons are made between him and Alan Shearer. Alan mm-hmm. Shearer isn't remembered for winning that one league title at Blackburn Rovers, which he happened to do. He's remembered for the legacy he left at Newcastle United. Yeah. To the point where there is a statue outside of uh, St. James's Park of him and is still adored by lots of my mates who are from the northeast, and still treat that man as a god because he scored a lot of goals for a team that meant a lot to him. Harry Kane does exactly the same. Mm-hmm. If you leave it long enough, will Harry Kane go, you know what, I'd quite like to have won a trophy, or does he want to be adored at probably the fifth or sixth biggest team in the country, which probably puts it on par with probably the top 20 clubs in the world? That's mm-hmm. not a bad legacy in my eyes. Well, gentlemen, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, I'm sorry that Gavin sort of bopped out again. He's obviously got a dodgy signal up there, but I'm not surprised because this is Somerset and... Broadband in Somerset don't get on, I'm afraid. I'm back now. Oh, you're back now. Yeah. If only uh, Yeovil was sponsored by a broadband company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if only. <laughs> well, anyway, Gav, that, I'm sorry to cut you. You've just got back. I'm not going to cut you off now. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um, thank you very much for joining us. First of all, Adam, 
Um, thank you. Very informative. Thanks for your, your knowledge because it's very useful. And uh, Ian, of course, he's uh, he's not very knowledgeable at all because he supports Liverpool. But there we go. And uh, Gavin, thanks for you, mate. And uh, get your broadband fixed. Thank and you. We'll, we'll, we'll hopefully have a better chat with you next week. Um, mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I think there's only one thing to say, really, isn't there? Football? Bloody hell. Oh, <laughs>